Good evening, everyone. The scripture reading is taken from Exodus and Ephesians. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 to chapter 6, verse 4. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good evening, everyone. The Lord bless you. Have a good time in the afternoon. Yeah, Not too tired out and uh, too spent to listen to God's word. Now we're into the second session of the camp. Uh, last night we spoke about the essence of honoring God, uh, which is reverence, gratitude, and obedience. We spoke also about the extent uh, to which we are to honor God, which is to regard Him as the only one without competition. And through that, we were led to look at Jesus and to see it's how it's only through Him uh, that we can truly honor our God. Now tonight we're talking about honour in the family and maybe this seems like it's not a very important or relevant thing to preach on, especially since there's so much more to talk about uh, with regards to honouring God Himself. Uh, not all of us are as enthusiastic um, about the topic of family. Some of us are single, some of us can't have children, some of us come from uh, very broken family experiences. Uh, but tonight I believe that on this topic of honour in the family, uh, God has something to say to us. Oh, well, uh, my clicker is not responding. Okay, hold it there. Okay, God has something to say to us as a church. Magic still not happening. Yeah, you could just click it. Yeah, as a church, uh, to those of us who are children um, and to those of us who are parents. All right, all three things there? Nope. So the first point is... <laughs> to us as a church, secondly, to us who are children, and the last one is to those of us who are parents. Now, I want to assure you that this sermon is for all of us, um, whether you have your own family or not, uh, whether you are a parent or not, whether you are still depending on your parents or not. God has something for all of us, so I want to invite us to listen closely. Now, I want to just begin with a word for the church. All right, great. Okay, is this working? No, still not. Okay, let's, let's go then. Now, for quite some time, uh, it's become clear that the notion of family in our culture is under a lot of attack. Right? The family is being regarded less and less as the building block of society. Marriage is being seen less and less as foundational to the family. So the very definition of family and marriage are being challenged. Right, the idea that healthy children need a father and a mother is considered kind of outdated, uh, even though the data shows otherwise. The idea that marriage ought to be just between two people is seen as restrictive. The idea that marriage ought to be between a man and a woman is seen as oppressive. 
Now, in fact, the whole idea of marriage, one husband, one wife, till death do, does them apart, it is viewed more and more un, as, as unreasonable and as unnecessary. Right? Because if I love someone, why do I need the formality of marriage to have that love recognized? And why must my sexual expression be restrained to just one partner? Isn't it better to remain single? Isn't singleness the ultimate expression of freedom? Isn't singleness the best way to focus on our self-development, our goals? And if you want to serve God, what better way than by being single, is what the Apostle Paul says. Now, it seems like so many marriages also end in divorce. So many parents uh, seem hardly ready to raise their children and their children grow up traumatized and broken. Starting a family comes with so much heartbreak. It comes, uh, creates so much brokenness. What is so good about marriage? What is so good about family? Aren't these things overrated? <laughs> wow. All right. Praise the Lord. Is it, is it okay? Okay, I'm going to try. Go back. Great. It's waking. Praise the Lord. Huh. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, even in a culture that's hostile to the notion of marriage, to the notion of family, the church, you and I, we are called to uphold marriage in honor. Marriage, the foundation of the family, is reasonable. Keeping your wedding vows is reasonable. Keeping yourself sexually pure until marriage is reasonable. Marriage is ultimately reasonable and necessary because marriage is God's idea. Marriage is how God designed families to be built and to thrive. And so it is a, a rebellious thing to dishonor marriage and to discredit the family. So even before we jump into the topic of honor in the family, it's good to ask yourself, do you honor the institution of marriage? Do you honor marriage as the bedrock of the family? Or do you sneer at marriage? Do you roll your eyes at the topic of having kids? Do you silently celebrate when you hear about the rising rates of divorce? Do you zoom in on stories of brokenness in the family to kind of convince yourself that marriage and family are of no benefit to society? Now, our God has a high view of the family, such a high view of the family, and we see this clearly in the Ten Commandments. Now, there are two parts to the Ten Commandments. The first part has to do with honoring God very directly, very clearly. And this first part consists of the first four uh, commandments, right? All these commandments are concerned with honoring God directly. And the commandment that anchors the, the rest of these first four commandments is commandment number one, right? That's the, that's the anchor, you shall have no other gods before me. That lays the foundation for the next three commandments. Then there's a second part to the Ten Commandments, and this second part consists of the remaining six commandments, and it has to do with honoring others. Now you would notice 
that just as the first commandment anchors and undergirds how we honor God, the fifth commandment, which is to honor our parents, it anchors and undergirds how we are to honor others. Now, if I could put it more plainly, honor your father and mother is the foundation to honoring others. Now, if we want to see our church being filled with honor for one another, then honoring fathers and mothers becomes critical. If we want Agape to be a community that abounds not with murderous hate, but with peaceable love, not with flesh-gratifying interactions, but life-giving intimacy, not with a me-first manipulation of others, but an others-first integrity and generosity. If we want these things for our church, then honoring marriage, honoring the family is crucial. So here's an encouragement for all of us as members of this church. Honor the church by keeping marriage and family in high honor. Whether or not you are married, whether or not you have kids, uh, whether you are a youth or a young adult thinking about your future, whether you are decidedly single and happily so, let's not scoff at marriage. Let's not speak poorly of marriage. When we come across views or opinions that put down marriage and family, let's be quick to consider how God created these institutions to glorify His holy name and to serve the good of society. When we come across news and statistics about the worsening state of marriage and family, let's be quick to intercede with sorrow and yet also with hope. And as a church, let's be committed to keeping family and marriage in high honor. Now, that's a word I believe God has for all of us as His church and as His people. Whole marriage and family in honor. Now, I have a word also for the children. Now, all of us, uh, by virtue of being alive, we are all somebody's children. Right? And the fifth commandment to honor our parents applies to all of us. Right? But of course, the way that we express that honor, uh, it is different at different stages of our lives. Now, at this point, I, I want to speak especially to those of you who are dependent on your parents, right? You're dependent financially, uh, you're dependent for making good decisions at, at this point of your life, you're dependent on them to meet much of your physical and emotional needs. Now, imagine those of you who fall into this category, you would probably be the youth, or some of you are uh, the young adults, right? And I want to speak especially to you at this point. In Exodus 20, we hear the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So to the youth and to the young adults that have highlighted your first, your primary role in life right now, aside from seeking and honoring God, is to honor your parents. It's not your studies. It's not your career. It's not your plans to start your own family. It's not pursuing your passions. It's honoring your parents. And the reason God gives us this command is because we need this rule, right? Honoring our parents doesn't come naturally to us. My daughter just turned one not too long ago, and she's already starting to assert her will, what she wants, Right? At home, she pushes, pushes away whatever she doesn't want or whomever she doesn't want. Many times, that's me. 
And my wife was telling me that at the playground, my daughter once pushed a boy by the head because he was standing between her and what she wanted. Right? We need the fifth commandment because honoring others doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally is honoring ourselves, what we want, what we desire. But there's something beautiful about this command because this command doesn't come with a threat, but it comes with a promise. It says, honor your parents so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, research has shown that one of the most reliable predictors for holistic, uh, healthy adult life is growing up in a stable home uh, with loving parents who are obeyed and honored. Now, by and large, children that are taught to honor their parents, to respect authority, they tend to make it through school, uh, they tend to stay out of jail, they are less likely to get involved in drugs, premarital sex, other vices. Now, many of these children grow up knowing how to navigate authority in life, and so that helps them to be successful uh, because they honor their parents' wisdom in making decisions, in managing money, in entering uh, healthy relationships, ordering their day productively, and things like that. Now, there are, of course, exceptions, right? There are exceptions to this, but what such research tells us that even for non-Christians, there seems to be a natural correlation between honoring your parents and leading long and less painful lives, right? This seems to be how God has generally ordered things. But there's something more to God's promise in Exodus 20. God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites as they were preparing to enter the promised land. And God was promising the Jews that if the children would honor their parents, then both they and their children would remain in the promised land enjoying the best that the land has to give until an old age. God was promising prosperity to the Israelites who kept the fifth commandment. God was promising long life. But above all, God was promising a long-lasting legacy in the promised land for those who would honor their parents. Now, because this is a promise that is given to the Jews in the Old Testament, we wonder, how about today? Does such a promise apply to us? And the answer is yes, but not in the exact same way. So in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul almost, he copies and pastes basically much of what uh, is said in the fifth commandment from Exodus 20, and he pastes it in the New Testament. And what Paul is telling us is that the Old Testament promise that comes with honoring your parents is still very much alive. It still applies. And Paul is saying that long life and success is promised to those who honor their parents. Now, if you compare the fifth commandment in Exodus 20 and what Paul's copy and paste version in Ephesians 6 looks like, you would find one main difference. And that is that Paul doesn't talk about the promised land. He doesn't mention the part about the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And what that means is that Paul is extending the promise that comes with honoring your parents to those of us who believe in Jews, not, uh, sorry, who believe in Jesus, right? Not just the Jews. So Christians who honor their parents will prosper, 
and enjoy long life on the earth. And for all of us who have our parents still with us, we want to hold on to this promise. We want to use that and lean on that and draw encouragement from that as we honor our parents. But there's also a spiritual aspect to this promise. And I believe that is the promise of a legacy of faith. Now, when my daughter was born, uh, my wife and I were deciding between uh, naming her Joy, daughter of Justin, right? Joy D slash O Justin, or just Joy Justin, right? According to tradition, my daughter should be called Joy, daughter of Justin, right? My name, if you do not know, is actually Johanan, uh, and I'm Johanan, son of Justin, right? S slash O Justin. And Justin is my father's name. There's nothing in case you didn't know. And my father's name is Justin, son of Xavier, which is his father's name, right? So you can see kind of a pattern going on there, right? So by right, my daughter should be called Joy, daughter of Justin. But as we were discussing that and thinking about what to name her, I had recently preached from 1 John, and I was convicted of how big a deal it is to be called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Now, my dad, Justin... Uh, he's actually the first in his family to be saved, right? By the time I was born, the rest of the family, of my dad's family, his mom, his sister, they were also saved. And my dad raised me and my siblings in a home shaped by Christian convictions. My dad saw to it that we were in church, that we stayed connected in Agape Land, that we were involved in outreaches, uh, that we were there for church fellowships. And he emphasized Christian values, above academic achievement, truthfulness, gentleness, respect, faithfulness. And my dad's spiritual leadership over our lives paved the way for me and my siblings to also believe in Jesus for ourselves and to be saved. So beginning with my dad, my family had been called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. And I wanted my children, I wanted my children's children to know that God had planted a legacy of faith in our family, beginning with this one man, my father, Justin. And so to honor uh, this legacy of faith, my wife and I decided to adopt Justin as our family name and to name our daughter Joy Justin, right? Instead of Joy's daughter of Johanan, right? Joy Justin. And so to the youth and young adults who I am particularly addressing. When your time here on earth finally comes to an end, what do you want to leave behind for your children, for your grandchildren, for your nieces, your nephews, your godchildren? Would you consider leaving a legacy of faith behind for them so that they can continue in that, so they can continue to celebrate that? And towards that end, would you honor God by honoring your parents and let Him build a lasting legacy of faith through you? Now, I just have four simple ways that you can honor on how you can honor your parents. Uh, the first thing is to obey your parents. Is it up there? Sorry. To obey your parents. Your parents are not always right. They don't know everything. But unless they are asking you to disobey Jesus in some way, Obey them. Whether it's doing your chores or making major life decisions, honor your parents by obeying them. Secondly, apologize to your parents. 
if you have a conflict with your parents, chances are both you and your parents had a part to play in that conflict. Nevertheless, you are called to honour them. Be the first to apologise, to say sorry. Acknowledge that you've been disrespectful, rebellious, argumentative, whatever it may be. Whether or not they apologise to you, that's secondary, right? They have to answer to God, but you've got to answer to them first. So be quick to apologise. Now, thirdly, thank your parents. Thank your parents because they are your parents. Not because they are good parents or because they are the best parents around. Thank them because they are your parents. As you may have realized along the way, uh, it is not always easy being your parent, right? So notice their efforts, notice their sacrifices, their concern, their good intentions, even when they are poorly expressed, and thank them. Finally, would you honor your parents by praying for them? Pray for their marriage, pray for their health, pray for their parenting, pray for the difficulties they are facing with you. Praying for your parents is deeply honoring to them. Now, for those of you whose parents are not saved, please do not let that stop you from honoring them. By God's grace, would your parents also become part of your legacy of faith? So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey them. Apologize to them. Thank them. Pray for them. Now we come to the last portion, and here I have a word for the parents. Now parents, it is so crucial that you raise your children to honor you. If you look into the Old Testament, what were the consequences for breaking the fifth commandment? What would happen to children who failed to honor their parents? Now here are some of, these are some of the relevant verses. It says, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. In other words, if your children were to assault you physically or even verbally, they would face the death penalty. And then there's this passage from Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to, out to the elders, and they shall say to the elders of this city, This, our son, is stubborn and, and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This passage tells us that children who are stubborn and rebellious, who refuse to listen to their parents, who reject the discipline of their parents, they are to be stoned to death. Now we look at this and we wonder, why? Why the death penalty? Why so serious? Why, as Deuteronomy 21 puts it, why is dishonoring parents an evil that needs to be purged? Right? It's, just a, it's just a part of the growing up, right? It's just a teenage thing or whatever that people go through. Now, Augustine, one of the earliest Christian theologians, he put it like this. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? And now what he means is if children won't even honor their own parents, who else will they honor? If children do not honor the most basic authority in their lives, how will they honor the other authorities in their lives? 
How will they honor their teachers, their bosses, their commanders in the army, their spouses, their government? And ultimately, how are they going to honor God? Because if they can't honor their parents, which is their first authority in life, how will they honor God, who is their final authority in life? And so parents, it is so crucial that you raise your children to honor you. Just as you would teach your children to make decisions that would prolong and preserve their lives, teach your children to honor you so that they don't come under God's wrath, so that they have an eternal future, so that they can come to enjoy the blessings of God. But how do you do that? Parents, honor is both taught and caught. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says to them, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring your children up in the ways of the Lord. Teach your children to honor God and to honor you. Teach your children the commandments of the Lord. Now, this means setting standards for what it, what it means to honor, what is an honorable response and what isn't, what is an honorable way of asking for things and what isn't, what is an, uh, how should they honor and show honor even when they have strong uh, emotions that they are feeling. Set clear standards for these things and then require that those standards be observed. Part of teaching is also disciplining your child. Discipline looks different at different ages, but the underlying value is that honor matters to God and that God will punish this honor. And parents, you must teach your children this underlying value. But honor is not only taught, it is caught. Now, before the Apostle Paul talks about bringing up children in the instruction of the Lord, Paul addresses husbands and wives. In Ephesians 5, Paul very famously, he talks about how husbands must love their wives as Christ loved the church and how wives must submit to their husbands as the church submits to Jesus. And there, Paul clarifies that marriage is meant to be a reflection of the gospel. Jesus' self-sacrificial love for his church and the church's unwavering submission to Jesus. William Farley, in his book, Gospel-Powered Parenting, he reflects on how marriage reflects the gospel. And he asked the question, who is the intended audience of our gospel-reflecting marriages? Who are the ones that are observing Christ and the church through our marriages? And Farley says this, To whom do our marriages preach? Of course, the first audience is God and His angels. Who is the second audience? Most of us think about our non-Christian neighbors. Maybe they will see our attempts to model Christian marriage and maybe they will want the gospel. They might, and we hope they will, but actually they are the third audience. Then he goes on to say the second audience, usually overlooked by most Christians, is our children. What is our marriage telling them about Christ and His bride? They see it all. They hear our fights. They absorb our attitudes. They know who or what really sits on the throne of our lives. They watch how we handle resentment. They hear the way we talk to each other. They know when we hear the Sunday sermon and apply it. They also know when we ignore it. 
Now, Farley points out that Christian marriages are designed to reflect the glories of the gospel to our children. Our children look at our marriages and they catch something about the realities of the gospel. How does Jesus honor his church, his bride, his beloved? Our children catch a glimpse of that through how their fathers love their mothers. How does the church honor Christ, her Savior, her beloved? Our children catch a glimpse of that through how their mothers submit to their fathers. Parents, our children catch the importance and the expression of honor through how we relate to our spouses. I'll say that again. Parents, our children catch the importance and the expression of honor through how we relate to our spouses. Is honor important in your marriage? Husbands, do you honor and prioritize your time commitments to your wife? Or are you always having to reschedule? Do your children know that your wife takes priority even over them? Wives, do you honor your husbands with your words and your body language? Or are you quick to snap and put them down? Do your children know that your husband has your respect and your love? Honor is not only taught, it is caught. What are our children catching from our marriages? Are they catching the importance of honor or are they catching how irrelevant it is? Parents, safeguard your children's souls by raising them to give honor. Honor to God, honor to you, their parents. And honor to those to whom honor is due. So honor in the family is not going very well. Even within households that hang uh, this on their front door. Right? In Joshua 24, Joshua challenges the, the rest of Israel to decide if they will honor God or if they will honor their idols. And then Joshua makes this famous declaration, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, many Christian households want this to be true for their families, but it's so hard. There is strife between husband and wife. There's strife between parents and children. Christian parents fail to teach or model honor to their children, and their children grow up hell-bent on only honoring themselves. Even Christian families are full of brokenness. Now, perhaps you know what that's like. And maybe this whole topic of honor in the family just fills you with shame, fills you with regret. So many things you should have done, but you didn't. So many things you shouldn't have done, but you've done them so many times. So many of us used to say with Joshua, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But now, we're not so sure anymore. Now, you know, when Joshua gave this challenge to the people of Israel to honor God and to raise their families in the ways of the Lord, the people responded, we will do it. We and our families, we too will honor the Lord. Then just four verses later, Joshua responds to the people and he says to them, you are not able to serve the Lord. Now, this is a verse I have not seen anyone hang on their front door before. But Joshua is right. I mean, look at the founding families of the human race and the Israelite nation. Mankind's first marriage went badly. 
Adam relinquished his authority as head of the family. Eve took that authority in his place. And instead of lovingly leading his wife, Adam submits to Eve's decision to eat the forbidden fruit. And they violated God's command in the process. Now, I'm not sure if they ever got to resolve their marital issues, but they go on to have children. And their older son, Cain, murders his younger brother, Abel. And this is mankind's first family. What brokenness. What dishonor. Then we look at Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation. And he repeats Adam's mistake. Instead of lovingly leading his wife, Abraham submits to her. At her request, Abraham sleeps with a slave, slave woman, and fathers a son with her. This decision breaks the family apart. The illegitimate son, Ishmael, enters into rivalry with Isaac, which is Abraham's legitimate son through his marriage to his wife. And through all of this, God's promise to Abraham that he will have a son, that promise is dishonored. Then that son, Isaac, starts his own family. He and his wife practice favoritism. Isaac favored the older son, Esau, but Rebekah, his wife, favored the younger son, Jacob. And at his mother's bidding, Jacob deceives his father and steals the birthright away from Esau, his brother. More dishonor, more brokenness. Jacob then goes on to start his own family, and he takes two sisters as his wives. And like his parents, he practices favoritism as well. He favors his second wife, and he favors her children over the other children. And Jacob dotes especially on Joseph, and that provokes his other ten sons to anger. These ten brothers stage Joseph's murder, and they sell Joseph off to slavery. They deceive their father and bring him untold sorrow. More dishonor, more brokenness. Now, no wonder Joshua said, you are not able to do this. You are not able to serve the Lord. Just look at the kind of families that the human race and the nation of God's people was founded on. Totally broken, totally discouraging, totally not the examples of honor in the family that we're looking for. People, this is our family legacy. Some of us have alcoholism, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, and all kinds of other conditions in our family history. But for all of us, familial brokenness and dishonor runs through our veins. That's our shared family history. For all our advances in family therapy, developmental psychology, there's still no remedy, no cure for the underlying brokenness that pervades every family. It's unavoidable, it's unescapable, and that's our legacy of failure. So then, where is our hope? Where is our confidence to see honor blossom in our families, in our homes, and from there into the church and beyond? Because if, if dishonor cannot be, cannot be resolved at home, how will it be resolved in the city? If brokenness at home can't be healed, what about the brokenness in this world? There's really no easy answers to this question. I mean, the brokenness runs deep, and the consequences we suffer are manifold and they are intense. And when he was on earth, Jesus himself said, Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, 
but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Our faith in Jesus doesn't mean a more peaceful, harmonious, and blissful family. Even in the Middle East, for example, faith in Jesus could mean being kicked out of your home by your own parents. In some places where Christianity is illegal, children who they report their Christian parents to the authorities and it condemns them to jail, forced labor, death. Faith in Jesus doesn't mean honor in the family is magically restored. But for those of us who do believe in Jesus, we catch a vision of what our families can be. We look at the Trinity, and in particular, we see the Son honoring the Father, and the Father honoring the Son. And we say, oh, that the children in our church, in our families, would honor their parents, would honor us, like how Jesus honored the Father. What reverence, what gratitude, and what obedience. And we say, oh, that the parents in our church would honor their children like how God the Father honors Jesus with such pride, such love, such pleasure, such trust. We look at that and we say, what intimacy, what communion, what free-flowing honor for each other. We want that for our families. We want that for our church. And then we look at the cross. And we say, what kind of son represents his father in this way? In weakness, in shame, in nakedness, receiving curses and slander for his father's name? What kind of son would put his father through a shame like this? Why doesn't he fight back? Why doesn't he put his enemies to shame instead? And then we say, what kind of father goes missing as his son is tortured? What kind of father stands afar and allows something like this to happen to his own son? As blood drips down his son's face, its arms, his his body, his leg, as the spit of a dozen people mingles with his blood, what kind of father doesn't preserve his son's honor and destroy his son's enemies? What happened to that perfection in the Trinity? What happened to that communion, that intimacy, that free-flowing honor between the Father and the Son that has been going on uninterrupted since the beginning of time? How was it that at the cross, there was that interruption? People, the Father and the Son, they were entering into the story of every family in the history of mankind. On the cross, Jesus bore the brokenness that every family has to endure. On the cross, Jesus bore the dishonor that has been repeated from one generation to the next and to the next. But by his wounds, we have been healed. Because to Jesus belongs the ministry of reconciliation. And as he restores us to the Father, he's also restoring us to one another. In Christ, the cycle of dishonor is broken. For those who look to Jesus, you find that the legacy of failure now becomes our legacy of faith. There is hope.
parents, look to Jesus. He invites you to be reconciled to your Father. Receive the approval of the Father. Repent for your part in the brokenness and dishonor at home. But receive the finished work. Children, look to Jesus. He invites you to be reconciled to the Father. Receive the love of the Father. Repent for your part in the brokenness and dishonor at home and receive the finished work that Jesus accomplished. And as we look to Jesus, Jesus invites us to join him in his ministry of reconciliation. Honor God and then honor your parents, your children, your in-laws, and one another. And by your example, teach others to do the same. Let's come to the Lord in prayer.